going to talk with you today about loving God. It's going to be part one of, uh, it's going to be a three-part series. And I'm going to ask you to go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. You can stand with me for the reading of the word. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 9. If you're wondering what happened to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 5, you'll know in a few minutes. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall walk, talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Father, tonight, Lord God, as we begin, Lord God, this series to love you, the greatest commandment, Lord God, the commandment that truly, Lord, encompasses all commandments, to love the Lord our God. And Father God, some of us, Lord God, at times it can be hard, and we'll confess that to you. At times, Lord God, we don't do it as purely and, Lord God, as holy as you call us to. So, Lord God, I pray tonight, Lord, as you begin to open up our hearts and speak your word into them, that you would guide us, Lord God, how we, Lord God, could better fulfill this commandment in our lives in loving you as you called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. So, just, just a quick overview here, and we're going to do a more in-depth study on the, you know, the verse by verse as we go through these next few weeks. But, verse 4, we are called to love God with our whole being. We are uh, to love him, and when you get into verses 6 through 9, really, love is, uh, it's an action word. You get the word in the New Testament, agape, it, it encompasses, again, you know, our entire being, our bodies, our minds, our, our souls, right? It's, it involves our strength, and is essentially, it, it is, you know, not sentimentalism, though there is an emotional aspect to it, a deep emotional aspect to it but it is essentially through action that, you know, we love God as we obey, obey God. We are to, you know, talk about these things, as it says in verse 7. Verse 8, we are to focus on them. We are to put reminders around us And uh, in verse 9. So, I skipped over Deuteronomy chapter 5. What was in Deuteronomy chapter 5? Does anyone know? The Ten Commandments, right? Deuteronomy, what does it mean? The repeating. The second giving of the law. So you have the Ten Commandments given in Exodus chapter 20, and now you have the, uh, the um, Ten Commandments uh, given again in Deuteronomy chapter 5 to a new generation. The first generation has died in the desert. These are the children who will enter into the promised land. And so now Moses is teaching them the law, and it's the giving of the law for the second time. So the, again... The greatest commandment, Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord with uh, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. We have the greatest commandment there, right? We see Jesus. Jesus repeated the you know, greatest commandment and the second commandment three times, right, in each gospel. We also see the second commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself, also given in the law of Moses. Does anybody know where that is? 
In the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So you have the, the giving, again, of, of the two greatest commandments, and Jesus is, again, repeating this. But it was given in uh, the Torah, given in the Tanakh in the Old Testament. Now, the Ten Commandments, the first four deal with our relationship with God. The next six deal with our relationship with each other. So the first four are all about loving God. Right, you, 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 you shall have no other gods, right? No other gods, you know, before me. Uh, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. You shall not make graven images. You shall keep the Sabbath. And all, when we were going through Exodus chapter 20, and if you, you want to go back, you can, you know, do a study, and that, that, that is online. You'll find it on uh, YouTube. You'll find it on, uh, on our website, livingwordalive.com. But that first and second commandment, they are, um, again, fulfilled in the two commandments. As I said, the, the keeping of the Sabbath, Jesus is our Sabbath day rest. We, as we live in Jesus and we live in his rest, that's where the, ultimately the Sabbath is fulfilled. So, again, first commandment, second commandment, Jesus, and I'll read to you from Matthew chapter 22, 37 through 40. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This uh, is the first and great commandment. The second, again, is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So the 613 laws of Moses are narrowed in the Ten Commandments. And then Jesus narrows them even more into the two greatest commandments. To love God. To love our neighbor. Now, there are four words that you will find that uh, speak of love. You have uh, in the scriptures the word storge. Storge is love between family members. It's love of a parent for a child, a child for a parent. It's love for your grandchildren. Okay, storge. It's, it's, it's deeply emotional. It's, it's a deep affection. The word uh, philia is friendship, love between friends. We get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And if anybody's ever been to Philadelphia for a sporting event, you know that's true. Eros, uh, erotic love. That's really what you see in the Song of Songs. It's love between a couple. Agape is the word that's used and that Jesus uses continuously which speaks about the unconditional love of God. Now, let's take a look. We'll take a look here at agape. Uh, agape is selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love. It's the highest of the four types of love that you will find in the Bible. Billy Graham, his definition, he said, agape love is selfless love. The love God wants us to have isn't just an emotion but a conscious act of the will, a deliberate decision on our part to put others ahead of ourselves. This is the kind of love that God has for us. So it has an emotional component, but it's far more, again, far more proactive. It's, you know, it's a very 
common word that's used today. It, it takes action. It's, it, it is emotional. Okay, it, it, it's, it, it's a love that is filled with awe. It's a love that's filled with wonder. But it's a love that is volitional, a love that, that flows from the will, a love that makes decisions, again, to put God above ourselves and to put others above ourselves. To put God above ourselves and obey Him and glorify Him and do His will. So it's very, very action-oriented. So when you look at, at the Gospel of John, I'm going to look at this. I'm going to read to you four verses here. Verse 15, 21, 23, and 24 from John 14. Okay. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. How do we show our love for God? By obeying Him. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to make our home with him. And then verse 24, He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So you have, you have three times in those few verses, again, loving God in the, the positive. And then verse 24 deals, again, with not loving God. He places it in, in the negative. But our obedience, again, is a demonstration of our love for God. Now, when you, when you look at that, and you stop and you look at your own lives, kind of like pushing that rock up a hill, right? It's challenging. It's difficult. At times it can be overwhelming. It is an incredibly high calling. It is a, a tall order. So the question, the question becomes, how can we love God with agape love? Now I'll tell you, I've been walking with the Lord for 42 years, and that's a, a question that I have contemplated and reflected on and prayed about continuously. Because that is, that is the ultimate goal. That is the ultimate purpose. To love God and to love God with such a, you know, a, a full, complete devotion that I'm fulfilling what He's calling me to do, what I am being, what He's calling me to be. So I want to give you a couple of, uh, of things as we go through the next couple of weeks. First thing, Ask him for help. <laughs> help me, Lord Jesus. The, the man with the, the son who was demonized, who would throw himself into the water and throw himself into the uh, fire in Mark chapter 9, 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You know, you could take that, Lord, I love, but help me in my unlove. I, you, you've got to come to him and you've got to ask him for help. That's the, the, that is really the, the, the essence. It's the essence of the Christian life is that we need help. That essentially on our own we're helpless. There, there is no way we are going to be able to love God with all our heart, soul, strength and, you know, and mind. Uh, we're not going to be able to do it. How can I love you better? Lord, I need your help. Because I can't do it by myself. I remember saying, saying to Sue many years ago, 
I've given up trying to be a Christian. And she was like, well, you're going to just stop. My point was is that I can't live the Christian life in my own strength. I need the help of the Lord. I need to rely on him. I need to depend on him. I need to yield to him for him to be able to do in me what he's called. It's, it's you know, we're, we're like Peter. Without Jesus' help, living uh, agape love is harder than walking on water. <laughs> just think, there's a lesson there. There's a lesson. It wasn't just about walking on water. There was a lesson there that w- without his help, we, we cannot live a life of love. And without his help, we, we, we're not going to be able to walk on water. We can't. Trying to live the Christian life in your own strength, again, you have a better chance of you know, going down to Cooper's Pond in Bergenfield and thinking that you're going to be able to walk across it because you're not. We can't save ourselves from drowning. We can't help ourselves to live agape love. We need his help. So they're just beginning, you know, by praying and praying each day, Lord, help me to love you better. Help me to love you more. That's, I think, the the, the first key principle here. Second, my helper, the Holy Spirit. Have I told you about my father? Have I told you about my Jesus? He's mine. Well, let me tell you about my helper, the Holy Spirit, because he's my helper. I got an Abba, I got a Savior, and I got a helper. In John chapter 14, 16, and I will pray to the Father. And he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. You know what Jesus is saying? You know who the first helper is? It's him. And he's saying, I'm going to give you another helper. Right? I'm going to go away. Right? I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to be raised from the dead. I'm going to ascend into heaven. And it's good that I go away because now the helper is going to come. He's not only going to be standing around you. He's going to be in you. And think about that. Jesus, we don't want you to go, right? Jesus, we don't want you to leave us. He says, it's better that I go than I stay because if I go, then I will pour out the Holy Spirit into your lives. So he gives us a helper. The word for helper, what is it? Paraclete. Yep. What does paraclete mean? If you take the word, um, essentially power means essentially to come alongside. And you you get the the concept paraclete. One who comes alongside to counsel, to comfort, to encourage, to exhort, to strengthen, to empower. The word here is a good little Pull this, I pulled this from one of the, the speakers, one of the preachers that I read. Um, para, uh, parakletos, paraclete, you know, he's called the advocate, the intercessor. He's uh, the mediator. He's the helper. Um, he declares things to come. Prophecy. He reminds us of all that Jesus said. He glorifies Christ. He teaches us all things. And then he proves uh, the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. That's coming from uh, John chapter 16, John chapter 15, John chapter 14. I'll give you a, a great word. The word for paraclete, the word is used for a Roman general. Any of you ever seen uh, the movie Gladiator? 
So in the movie Gladiator, Maximus Decimus Meridius, I want you to remember that. There'll be a test on it next week. Roman general from the north, you get a, a great picture of him with his soldiers at the beginning of the movie, that incredible scene, and it's an incredible scene of, uh, you know, at the beginning um, of the movie. But he comes alongside his men, and he walks amongst them. And he, he comes alongside of them, and he puts his arm around them. He, he, you know, he just stands before them, and he speaks these words of encouragement. He speaks strength into their life. He speaks power into their life. He speaks into their hearts. That's the, the picture. Now, it's neat because not only does he come alongside of them and speaking these words of power and strength into their life, but he goes into battle with them. He, he's not like the modern day generals who stand back and send people into battle to die. He actually goes, and in the scene you see him, he goes into battle with them and he fights alongside of them fighting the enemy. And that is a, a great picture, again, of the I could see why Jesus chose that word, paraclete, for the Holy Spirit. And again, when, when, the, when the apostles heard this, their minds would have e immediately been reminded of the Roman general. They were all around them. But they're around them, encouraging their men, strengthening their men, speaking those words, those words of life into their men, but also going into battle with them and fighting the battles. And we never fight alone, folks. The Holy Spirit is always with us. And I, I, say this, I say this to you, and I repeat this over and over and over again. Every morning, I you know, come and I commune with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I read the Word. I meditate on the Word. And boy, I'll tell you something. At this time in my life, God's Word is speaking to me. The Spirit is speaking to me more deeply than He ever has before. Read, read the Bible every morning, go to bed now. I, I, I've actually just read the Bible before I go to bed, just use, you know, a, a, a short passage, just meditate on it and pray. But just the, the Lord has been speaking to me so powerfully. And whenever I come to commune with God, I never leave, right, weaker than when I came in. I always leave stronger. There's, there is a strength that, that the Holy Spirit, you know, just, just fills me with. And he fills me with that power, and I always come out of it strong. Now, dealing with a, a, a lot of things today, I'm thankful I had that time this morning with God. Thankful that I had that time, to, again, to be, to be strengthened. So here's a, just a little, I'll give you a little test about kind of looking at your life to see where you are um, in the spirit or in what's called the flesh, or the word in, in, in Greek is sarx, the sinful nature. And if you look, this is a great passage that the Lord, I have a bunch of passages that I literally am repeating to God every day, and I write them down every day as I, as I pray. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Now, I said this to you last week, as you're going through your day, stop and ask yourself, am I in the spirit or am I in the flesh? Usually you're going to identify that real quickly. And, uh, you know, surprisingly, I see sometimes that as I'm going through the day, sometimes I am in the flesh. Something has ticked me off. Something has, has angered me. It's not, you know, a, 
do not sin in your anger. You get angry. All of a sudden, uh, the, F, the F appears in my mind. And it's just a reminder, get back in the spirit. I'm, I'm glad that I'm in the spirit more than I've been in the past. But there's still a times where the flesh, he's there to help us. If you're staying in him, you're fine. You're going to find when you're in the spirit, you're going to be loving Jesus. When you're in the flesh, be loving yourself or something else. But when you're in the spirit, you're going to, you're going to find it, that's just, the, that's what he does. That's what he directs us to Jesus. He fills us with love for Jesus. Okay, next. To love God, we must first experience his love. So it says in, in 1 John chapter 4.19, we love him because he first loved us. You can't, you can't love him if you haven't experienced his love. That's the, 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 the major issue with the Pharisees is that they were not, they were not experiencing the love of God. Their, you know, their, their, I mean, their rigidness, their legalism, right? Their, their, their criticalism and judgmentalism of people, the burdens that they were putting, they were, they were men who were not experiencing the love of God. And maybe, again, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, somewhere along the line, they did. But you see people, you see people in the church, it's just, it's just religion. It's just going through the motions. It's, it's, you know, it's, and, and it's, it's, you look at them, it's just, they, they're just grinding it out. I'm going to say this to you. If you're not enjoying being here, you're not learning and you're not growing. If this, if this is, if this is drudgery, Right. If this is you, just you're, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're not, you're not going to grow. You know, it's just a, a, a simple fact. We grow and we improve at what we enjoy doing. And when you, when you are not enjoying something and it's just, it's just drudgery, you, you know, you, you, you don't grow. But when you love him, right, because he has loved you. And you're experiencing that, that ongoing love. Some people have described it, and I described an experience I had many years ago where I was praying. I was praying at the kitchen table. I'm telling you, my head was bowed. My hands were on my Bible. And four hours, I thought it was four minutes. I'm telling you, the, uh, you know, the experience of Philip in the book of Acts, in Corinth, he was transformed. It was like, I wasn't there. Time stopped. And for four hours. But it was I just it was like just the Lord's love, waves of liquid love flowing over my soul. And God just, you know, just confirming to me over and over again, I, I, I love you. When you experience his love, then you find it's it's easy to love him. But when you're when you're not experiencing his love, you'll find it you'll find it very hard to love him. So that, that experience of his forgiveness, of his love, his mercy, his grace. Right? Remember mercy and grace? Mercy is God doesn't give us what we deserve because I deserve hell. 
I deserve condemnation. And then he gives us all these things that we don't deserve. Every good thing in your life has come to you as a, as a gift from God. His kindness, his, his sacrificial love, essentially that, that initiates our love. So here's, a, here's a, an example again about, you know, being loved. The story of the prodigal son. Because we're all prodigal sons, all prodigal daughters. But when he came back, just in verse 20, this is a verse to, let me tell you, commit it to memory. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. What does that tell you? He was always looking. The, father, the father's up on the balcony, looking over the horizon, wanting his son to come back. He's longing for his son to come home. And had compassion and ran a, a very undignified thing for a Jewish man to do in those days. You know how he'd have to run? I think I've showed you illustrations of it. He had to take, had to take right, his outer garment and he had to put it between his legs and tie it to be able to run. And then his legs, his bare legs would be showing, which was something that was uh, looked down upon. And then he fell on his neck. And boy, if you, if, if you get anything out of this, he fell on his neck and kissed him. So you, you know what I call it? I call it, that's being in the embrace of God's everlasting grace. That's, that's not a one-time thing. That's where God wants us to be all the time. To be in the embrace of his everlasting grace. He loves you. He loves you. In spite of being unworthy. In spite of at times living in the flesh. In spite of at times of failing him and falling short. You know, I, 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 I said, um, Diane gave me the Chosen video five years ago. I never watched it, and I, I've watched some episodes. And um, look, I, I just to explain, it's not pure Bible. They have to fill in all the gaps. And probably filling in some of those gaps is not accurate. But the actual stories of the Bible are accurate. I was amazed at how, how accurate the, you know, what I see with the conversation with Nicodemus, what I see with the, you know, the woman by the well. It's, I, it's a great depiction. A great history, they did a really good job with the sort of background. So the heresy hunters criticize it. Right? They're like, the heresy hunters will find something wrong with everybody. They find something wrong with everybody. It's just, you know, and, and you can do that. I can do that. You know, I can find things and the thing, the thing that I, I really enjoy about it is Jesus, and I, and I see this so, so clearly in the scriptures, his interaction with people and, and with the apostles, who at times got on his nerves. And, um, but in his love for them, and the way, the way that he would like correct them, and he always knew it was coming anyway. So when John and James want to call down fire and, and destroy the Samaritans, right? he knew it. Sons of thunder. They had bad tempers. And it, but he corrects them. And, you know, and then he, he says, but there's, there's this compassionate love that you see in him for people and, and, you know, and for his disciples. And, you know, just 
probably of all of them, John just received it. Did he, did he love John who said three times, I am the one who Jesus loved. I am the one who Jesus loved. He wrote, he wrote, the one who Jesus loved <laughs> three times. So, you know, was it that Jesus loved John more than Philip or Nathaniel or Peter or, right, his brother James or Andrew? No. John, John just, John, I think, did a, a better job living in the embrace of God's everlasting grace than the others did. It wasn't that Jesus loved the, you know, him more than the others. He just did a better job receiving that love. So just, again, if you, if you don't get all of Luke chapter 15, 20, get and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him because that's where God wants us to live. When you're, when you're in that place, you're going to find it easy to obey him. How could you not? He's just loving you so much. And then it becomes much easier to love him. All right, let me give you, I want to give you another here. Take time to reflect on what he did for you on the cross. I like, I like that, that statue. The, the, the Catholics call it the adoration of the cross. And um, the adoration of the cross, uh, you, you get a, a devout Catholic, they will kneel before the cross and they will meditate on what Jesus did for them. Six hours that Friday. They'll meditate on the three nails, one that went in his left hand, his right hand, and in his feet. They'll meditate on the crown of thorns that was placed upon his head. They'll meditate on his suffering on the cross for six hours, both physical, emotional, and spiritual. They'll meditate upon the words that he spoke from the cross. But I think Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he's, he's being separate. He's, there's somehow, again, the miracle, and I say this to you, can't wrap my mind around it, but somehow he experienced hell on the cross for us. And that hell, hell is separation from God. And he somehow, again, in his humanity, experienced the separation from the Father. He was forsaken. And he was forsaken that we never have to be forsaken. His words, right, I, you know, I, I, I thirst, right, into your hands I commit my spirit. You know, it is finished. Father, forgive them, right? They don't know what they're doing. All the words of the cross, just take time to focus on what Jesus did. Not just once a year on Good Friday. And Good Friday is coming up. And Good Friday should be a day. And Good Friday is a very special day here at Living Word. We started the church on a Good Friday. We have a wonderful Good Friday service here every year. But that should be something that we do, that we do regularly. We even do daily. You know, every, every morning in my prayers of thanksgiving, I thank him for his blood. I thank him for dying for me. And I thank him for taking my sins upon himself. You know, I thank him for those six hours that Friday. I thank him that he took my hell upon himself so that I would never have to suffer hell. Now, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
So look, we, we understand Jesus is no longer on the cross. He's been, he's been raised from the dead in glory. But Paul, Paul is saying that he, he, he doesn't want to forget. He fixes his eyes on what Jesus did for him and being crucified for him. And that's something I think that's that, so key. When, when, you know, I, I don't know if I have experienced greater love for Jesus any time more than when I have been focused on what he did for me on the cross. And look, I experience, he's, again, he's alive in my life. But just to, you know, to reflect on what he did for me, my heart, my heart just gets overwhelmed. So look at, look at what it tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 14 through 15. It says, for the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. But notice again, it's the love of Christ that's compelling us. It's his, it's his death on the cross that compels us. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. That, that's it. The love of Christ compels us. What is, our, what is our, our motivating factor in the Christian life? It's the love of Christ. Right? We love him because he loved us. We serve him because he loved us. What I'm doing today is because of the love of Christ. We obey him. Because he has loved us. So I give you, I give you, you know, four of those, I think, today. And I'll give you more. I'm going to give you more next week. And then we're going to, you know, we'll go through the, uh, the Hebrew passage and look at, you know, chapter 5 and chapter 6. I just want to end with this, this one story. This is an old story of a, a famous artist. I don't even know who it was. I believe it was a French artist. Uh, and he would teach people how to paint. And there was this one man who came to him and he said, I, I'll, I'll paint Jesus. So he began to paint Jesus and the, the artist laughed, came back. And when he looked at the painting, it was just a really poor rendition of Jesus. And he said to him, if you loved him more, you paint him better. I want you to think about that. If we loved him more, wouldn't we paint him better in our lives? If we loved him more, we would obey him better. Think about that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you, Lord God, all that he's done for us. We thank you, Lord, how he went so willingly to the cross. And I do believe in his infiniteness, he had all of us in mind. We thank you, Jesus, for dying in our place. We thank you, Jesus, for taking our sins upon yourself to give us forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. We thank you, Jesus, for giving us the Holy Spirit, our helper. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for just reminding us of the great love that the Almighty has for each and every one of us. And Lord God, I pray that we take to heart the word that you have given us tonight, that we truly would 
love you with all our heart, soul, strength, our mind. And that, Lord God, that would bring you great glory. And I know it would be pleasing to you. Your children loving the one who has loved us with such a love. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.